What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three soulmates with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I only declare my love on handwritten cardboard signs. I'm Matt Johnson, and I don't believe in love at all. And I'm Keith Baker, and I remember Sarah Marshall. On today's show, we'll be having a bracket-style debate to decide the best romantic comedy. But first, Matt, how was WandaVision this week? WandaVision's been good. We've been really enjoying this season. I think uh, the last couple episodes for us have lost a little bit of momentum, but we're certainly still excited to see where it goes. And overall, just such an awesome show. For those that don't know, we have been reviewing each episode, so just head to your podcast feeds if you're a fan of WandaVision so you can see what we've been saying. Awesome. Those come out every Sunday. Be sure to check those out. And let's just get into it, guys. Today, in honor of the season of love, we are back to the brackets to choose the best romantic comedy. We've got some classics, some oddballs, and of course, tons of Rachel McAdams. Guys, why don't you tell me what you are looking for in order for a movie to win it all today? Well, I think last episode, I did kind of cover a little bit of it. You know, it's in the name, rom-com. It needs to be romantic in some sort of way. You know, boy chasing girl, girl chasing boy, whatever. And then comedy, you know, is it funny? At all. I mean, some of these maybe might not fit that. We'll see. Who's to say? Yeah, I think that's going to that's gonna be important today because there's really not much criteria unless you guys have personal criteria. I mean, I, I'm kind of just there with Keith and I did also talk about it in the last episode. But if we're looking at a Venn diagram with romance on the left and comedy on the right, I just need I need to have a good balance in the middle there for a good rom-com. It needs to be romantic, give you the happy tears, maybe make you genuinely laugh. And yeah, some of these lean one way or the other. I don't think it's a bad thing. So we're going to have to have that conversation where maybe a movie's really good, but does it lean too much towards romance or too much towards comedy? So we'll be breaking it down. I think for me personally, uh, I think you also need to buy the relationship because there are a couple of movies here where I don't know what they were thinking pairing these two actors together, but I do not buy that they are in love at all. So I think by the end of the film, you have to buy that whatever relationship they're setting up is actually going to work out. Okay. I'm looking at the list like right that. now, so I'm trying to, I'm curious to see which ones uh, that is for you. So whenever we do these bracket episodes, we did it for movie scores, we did it for Halloween movies, we did it for holiday movies. Um, so we decided to kind of split up the bracket. We each brought four movies into it, and right now, things are split up. We have a little oddball bracket, we have an unhealthy relationship bracket, something that's just a bit more traditionally comedic, and then something that's a bit more traditionally romantic. So that's how we split it up. We have four categories. I think things actually fit pretty well. So I was surprised that we each brought in four and then they actually all kind of it felt like they had a natural place to go. So I'm excited to break this down. We're going to reveal our contestants here in a second. But guys, I don't know if you two are aware, but my wife, Melody, is not happy with us. She did not like our selections for this bracket. She thought we really shit the bed picking these movies. You know what? I was talking to my sister about this as well. She was she was curious in our she was curious of our list, and she's like, "How could y'all leave off any McConaughey? He's the king of rom coms. Y'all didn't put one McConaughey rom com on there." I was all, like, "You're all right. Of his suck. We didn't. All of his suck." <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, "Maybe you're right." But yeah, I mean, it's all based on what we like. What, so what are and, they talk? I'm looking at my four. Mine are really good. She must be complaining about your guys' picks. <laughs> Mine are good. <laughs> Mel was especially upset that Fifty First Dates and Crazy Stupid Love was not included in our I do list like today. both of those. I do like both of those a lot. We're always missing some. Yeah, there's so many though. Yeah. But hey, here's the thing. Next year, we're not gonna it's not like February is gonna we can do much else for it. So maybe we'll return at some point to do another bracket where we just put in ones that we didn't say. All right. Well let's go ahead and roll that segue music, and when we come on back, it'll be time to reveal today's contestants.
Keith, why don't you inform everybody who our one-seaters are today? All right, yeah. Our one-seaters are Shrek, directed by Andrew Adamson and Vicky Jensen, starring Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, and Cameron Diaz. Then we got Forgetting Sarah Marshall, directed by Nicholas Stoller, starring Kristen Bell, Jason Siegel, Paul Rudd, Mila Kunis, and Russell Brand. Then we got Wedding Crashers, directed by David Dobkin, starring Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn, Rachel McAdams, and Christopher Walken. And then last but not least, we got When Harry Met Sally, directed by Rob Reiner, starring Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. All right, so Keith just told you the one-seater is everybody that wins in this first wildcard round will go on to face one of those films. And let's just get into it. Our first matchup today is A Knight's Tale versus Chasing Amy. A Knight's Tale released in 2001. It is directed by Brian Helgeland. It stars Heath Ledger, Paul Bettany, and Shannon Sosaman. And then we have Chasing Amy, which released in 1997. It is directed by Kevin Smith and stars Ben Affleck and Joey Lauren Adams. So this is our oddball selection here. Kind of ones that are a bit different than the rest of the things on our list. So I think these fit together nicely. Uh, where do we start here? I I know Keith and I especially have a long-lasting love for A Knight's Tale. I don't know why we bring up that movie so much, but also have the <laughs> WandaVision connection, guys. Did you remember that Paul Bettany was in that? Yep. He's awesome in that. I was happy to see Paul Bettany pop up in that one, and this was actually my first time seeing both of these movies. Oh, I thought you hadn't seen Knight's Tale. Wow. All right. Well, how about you start us off then, Austin? Why don't you give your initial thoughts since this was your first time? Chasing Amy, I think it's just a personal thing for me. I cannot stand any of Kevin Smith's movies. I think he's an insanely overrated director. And this one, I, I don't think has aged very well. I get the message that they're trying to set up. Like, it it doesn't matter who you love or what your experiences have been. I get that that's the message for the film. But the writing stuff just comes off extremely homophobic in this one. And I know that's kind of the point of that character. But I just don't think any of the dialogue choices have aged very well in this one. And, and none of the comedy really worked for me either. I also just really hated Ben Affleck's goatee. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I just wanted to rip that thing off his face. Um, and, and A Knight's Tale really surprised me. I, I watched the trailer before starting it. And uh, I did not think this was going to hold up well at, at all. And I ended up just loving it all the way through. I don't really buy the romance in it. But just in terms of an enjoyable yeah. watch uh, versus Chasing Amy, I'm going to have to go with A Knight's Tale on this one. It's funny because uh, I actually agree with you. Whenever The only movie that stuck out to me whenever you were saying that there was some that you didn't buy the romance. I think while I love A Knight's Tale, I think out of everything on our list and even just the other brackets like at all, I think it has the weakest romance and it's not the actor's fault i think i kind of tend to maybe blame the way the writing pairs them together and kind of how they meet and how their relationship you know builds or whatever i just yeah i've, I've never really bought it i love the movie overall but it is kind of a point a big point against it for this bracket because i don't really buy these two together very well I don't buy the romance in Chasing Amy at all. Like, Ben Affleck's character just expects her to not be gay anymore and fall in love with him. A Knight's Tale, I guess you can at least buy by the end that they've kind of fallen in love because she gets over the fact that he's not actually a knight. I didn't think either one of these movies had a great love interest on either side. So I, at this point, I kind of just have to pick which one I enjoyed more, and that's going to be A Knight's Tale for me. That's fair. A point I will say in favor of Chasing Amy is that they don't stay together because they couldn't have stayed together. There's no way that that was going to work. And I think even though we are going off of rom-coms here, I think the fact that that relationship ended the way it did and then there actually is growth on both sides in the epilogue is kind of nice to see. And I do agree with you that it is very homophobic in a lot of ways, but I do really appreciate that the movie being made in the 90s 
does acknowledge that. I mean, whenever characters are being homophobic, they are confronted later in the film for that. And they do seem to kind of change their ways a little bit. So I do think it was kind of forward thinking at the time. Um, I agree with you, even though I did submit this one a lot. Some of the comedy doesn't work for me, but I do buy the relationship and the fact that it ends and there is growth, I do think is fun to see. And I don't know. This one just works for me. But there, yeah, you're right. There is stuff that doesn't hold up. Jason Lee, it's like, wow, this character is actually growing. And then there's a scene where he's like ooing and aahing at like a little schoolgirl. It's like, oh, that's weird. That, yeah. And I appreciate that for its, for the time it was all forward thinking. I just don't think anything that they're trying to set up aids very well. And, and the execution of, of, all, of their messaging feels really clunky to me watching it in 2021. That's fair. All right, Keith, what about you? I got to get you in here. What are you what are your thoughts? I love Night's Tale. I mean, Heath Ledger playing his just like, you know, wannabe night guy. And then you got Paul Bettany, the giving his speeches. Paul Bettany had me laughing so yeah, hard dude. in this one. <laughs> yeah. He was so great. Him and Alan Tudyk. Mm-hmm. And then even the uh, even the girl. Um, I think she's she has some funny moments, too. And I kind of like how she like she's always messing with him and everything like that. And I think it's just, it's just a fun movie and it has, it has a fun story to follow. Um, and it's always rewatchable for me. I mean, I can always watch Night's Tale. Chasing Amy, complete opposite. <laughs> uh, this was the one I was least looking forward to watching off of this bracket. Rewatching it, still didn't like it. Pretty much, I won't really go into all the details because most of the things that Austin disliked it for is pretty much what I disliked it for too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm just not a big... I'm not big into Kevin Smith stuff either. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of hate Kevin Smith, to be honest. I hate <laughs> almost all of his movies, except I like Dogma and I like this one. He just gets, like, forced on you, too. Like, he yeah. gets set up to be like, he's the ultimate nerd. He knows everything. And it's like, yeah. I don't want to Always hear wearing from the same shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I will say, though, the last thing I'll say, because clearly Night's Tale is going to win, and that's fine. I like a Night's Tale. But, um... I think the best part about Chasing Amy, I do agree with Austin, the messaging is a bit clunky, particularly how they deliver it, because, I mean, speaking of Kevin Smith, they kind of just deliver it by having Jay and Silent Bob walk into a diner and then just kind of telling the message. But I do think the message is really important. You know, I do really like the idea of you can't judge people because I know when I was younger, I kind of probably was more leaning into that. I mean, but you, you gotta, you can't judge people for their past actions, and I do think they found a good way to deliver that message and how it kind of changes the characters moving from that. But then Ben Affleck still fucks up. Is like he takes that message and then kind of utilizes it in the wrong way by I'll fix, yeah. I'll kind of fix my relationship with her and my friend, and we'll have this threesome. And he, like he just reads it the wrong way, which we all do in life. You know, we get these important messages, but then just completely kind of go about it the wrong way and it takes making mistakes to then be a better person. So I like that aspect of the movie. So I'm going to vote for Chasing Amy, but I'm totally fine with A Night's Tale winning. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from what you said there because the messaging is important. I just think it just really hasn't aged very well. And I I can see it being forward thinking at the time. And it's kind of like what we talked about at the beginning. A romantic comedy has to have that romance element and the the comedic elements. And the fact that neither one of those work for me in Chasing Amy and at least the comedy works in A Night's Tale, that's why it's ultimately getting my vote. Yeah, I always look forward to Night's Tale. Every time it's on TV, I always look forward to watching it. Well, the one thing that Chasing Amy did do, that the last thing we have to say here is, I guess after Chasing Amy, Ben Affleck had enough money that he could get rid of his baby teeth. And that's all that we need to say. Good on him. He looks great now. He was able to shave too, which was nice. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> that goatee's hideous. <laughs> oh, man. Well, A Night's Tale will go on to face Shrek in the next round. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I can't wait for that one. That's going to be good.
Our next matchup here in this wild card is 500 Days of Summer versus Lars and the Real Girl. Ooh. 500 Days of Summer was released in 2009. It is directed by Mark Webb and stars Zoe Deschanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And then we have Lars and the Real Girl, which released to theaters in 2007. It is directed by Craig Gillespie. It stars Ryan Gosling, Emily Mortimer, Paul Schneider, and Kelly Gardner. Yeah, so just real quick before we get into it, this is our unhealthy section of the bracket, kind of a movie that focuses on an unhealthy aspect of a relationship or just an unhealthy relationship in general and kind of where it goes from there. So I thought these were kind of good to pair up as well. Um, where do we start here, guys? I think, Matt, I want you to tell me about Lars and the, and the Real Girl, because I think this is a movie that Keith and I both watched for the first time, and, and you submitted it, so I want to know what you like about this movie. Mm, okay. Yeah. So Lars and the Real Girl is actually a movie that I haven't really seen that many times. This might have been my third time watching it, uh, just in preparation for this bracket, and I wanted to submit it. Um, I just love it. I, I don't know. It just works for me. It's so unconventional, obviously, in the relationship it's portraying, but Wow. I mean, I just the way they kind of dive into the psychosis of this man played by Ryan Gosling, who kind of and I love the way the movie kind of leaves it vague why he's doing what he's doing. But he basically decides he's kind of tired of being alone and he decides to order online. I, I don't know what you would even call it. It's like it's not a sex doll. It's just I mean, you can use it for that, but it's just like a doll. He, we'll just call it a doll. He orders like a life size, real looking doll. And he basically kind of just goes about his life. This is his girlfriend now. And everybody, he like, he treats it like it's totally normal. And the movie kind of dives into the psychosis of that, why he's doing what he's doing, how it might relate to childhood trauma. And then he kind of just, people love this character. So then the community starts to treat her like a normal person. And then as things go on, he basically tries to make the leap to being not alone in a more healthy way. So there's so much going on in the movie and... I don't know. I just think it's great. I love unconventional stuff when it comes to genre. So the fact that this is just a movie where Ryan Gosling is dating a doll and they treat it like normal and how the people around him have to react to that, I just think is so exciting. But it is a, it's a tearjerker for me. And I do think the romance, even though it's one sided, obviously, is kind of sweet. And then the way it kind of develops and evolves by the end, I think, is so great and so important. So and it's funny, too. So it just really works for me when it comes to a rom com. I really liked all the performances in Lars and the Real Girl, and I, I like that it, it takes a different route than than what I was expecting when the movie opened, because I really thought, like, I thought the comedic elements of this one was going to be him and his relationship with the doll, but instead of, like, the town making fun of him, the town actually kind of rallies around him, which I thought was really cool and, and was not what I was expecting. And Emily Mortimer, I think, really makes this movie just how she's so willing to care for and help uh, Ryan Gosling's character, and, and so I really did enjoy all the perf all the performances. I did submit 500 Days of Summer, though. It's weird. On this viewing of 500 Days of Summer, I didn't enjoy it as much as I usually do. This is the one I think I've seen the most on this list. I'll jump in with 500 Days of Summer. I definitely did not enjoy this one, watching it on this time. It definitely misses the comedy criteria for sure for me. I don't know if I laughed once, maybe maybe twice throughout the entire thing. I just didn't find that there was any humor in it. I mean, it was, it was kind of depressing, actually. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt feels really... His character feels really awkward in this one, too. Like, he, yeah. he never says what's on his mind then it's kind of his fault that the relationship doesn't work he never says exactly what he's feeling he just keeps saying okay and never like actually comes out and is like no i, I want a relationship he hopes that she's going to change for him which isn't yes. a healthy way to start a relationship my only issue and this is where i'm stuck i, I still don't really know which way i want to vote my only wish issue with lars and the real girl is there are stretches of it where i was really really bored 
like it, it this movie does kind of drag for me especially in the middle and it, i think it does take a long time to get the, to get to the conclusion this, i think this one's like a two-hour movie and you kind of feel every minute of it in this one not not for me lords and the real girl i loved it all the way through i laughed my ass off throughout it i thought it, <laughs> i just love awkwardness like that and ryan gosling's character was so awkward and then how everybody else was kind of like against it at the beginning was hilarious and then they started just playing along I thought it was so funny, and then they all started wanting to have turns with with the doll and everything like that, and take her everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I I don't know, I just thought it was funny throughout. And then it was kind of cool how he was able to work through his issues towards the end there. And no, I liked it all the way through. See, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for Lars. Five hundred days of summer, man. Weird movie, <laughs> a movie that I used to love, and a movie that will always be important to me because I do genuinely I saw it when I must have been fourteen or fifteen. And I do actually know a lot of people our age feel this way, is it got me into indie movies, like kind of more art house, smaller budget movies. Because around that time, I mean, I was, you know, I would go see like the big movies. Like whenever whenever we're kids, that's kind of all we watch, right? Whenever movies come out in theaters that we're interested in, we go see it and then we rent them. And that's kind of it. You're not really kind of experimenting with taste in a sense when it comes to movies when you're that young. And I don't even really know why I ended up seeing it. I guess maybe I was finding the age where... I saw a trailer on YouTube and maybe it must have been getting a lot of buzz or something. And I was like, wow, this actually looks really cool. And I went out to go see it. And it it was a bit harder to see because it was a smaller release. And I do credit that movie with making me a bit more willing to go see smaller movies. So I appreciate it. But it's it's weird because (laughs) it feels like it was written by a 14-year-old. I don't mean that to discredit the work they did. I mean, it feels like it was written by someone that doesn't have a lot of experience with relationships. Yeah, like someone who literally just got out of their first like important relationship and haven't like grown from that at all. Right. And the thing with Chasing Amy, I know you guys didn't love it, but at least there is some growth by the end. Whereas 500 Days of Summer literally ends with Tom, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character, who is just an asshole uh, the whole time. And then at the end, he doesn't learn anything. And then Mink and Kelly's like, hi, my name's Autumn. And it's like, oh, I guess he's rewarded for this behavior. <laughs> like, well, they even try to set that up like a joke because the narrator comes in and goes, and this time Tom knew not everything has to be a sign. And then he just walks back out and goes, hey, how's it going? I'm Tom. Like, you want to go on a date? So <laughs> yeah. like, that's that's supposed to be the punchline of the movie, but it doesn't show any growth by the end of it. Yeah. And I like what you're saying, Matt, because 500 Days of Summer was used to be one of my favorite rom-coms. Me too. Me too. Um, and, and especially when I was younger, it was one of my favorite movies, but... It just feels like it gets almost worse and worse every time you rewatch it, whereas I feel like I remember it more fondly than I do actually like watching it today. Yeah, I think the first time I watched it was the only time I actually liked it. I think I watched it with you guys, actually. I think, And that was the first time I watched it. Now it just, yeah, it just seems stupid. <laughs> I was ready for it to be over. So Keith has thrown a vote for Lars. Uh, Matt, which way are you going to go? Before I vote, just because I don't, I never want to be completely negative, at least try not to be. Um, go check out our Spectre episode. I am completely negative there. But here, I will say 500 Days of Summer, while I don't like it really at all anymore, I think it's also because as you get older and see smaller movies that are a bit more artistic in their delivery, this one kind of just seems cheesy. It's just like it has narration. It cuts back and forth constantly for no reason at all. It's just confusing. All the characters are terrible. <laughs> so anyway, I will say it has two amazing moments. The expectations versus reality scene is still great it was great whenever so i first good. watched it and it's great now and then the other scene that i didn't expect to love the last one i'll call it before voting here is the wedding scene whenever he kind of hasn't seen summer in a long time it's after their relationship and they meet on a train just by happenstance going to a wedding i think that's just a beautiful segment the first of all the music this movie does have great music playing a sweet disposition there i think by temper trap 
and it's just showing people that used to love each other that you know are kind of reconnecting they still have that like friendship element and they go to the sweating they just dance together it's really kind of sweet uh, and emotional and then of course you find out later that she's engaged at that point and she didn't tell tom because she just kind of was happy to see him and wanted to, wanted to have a good time with an old friend so I thought that was great. That being said, Lars and the Real Girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I agree with both of you guys. I I do by the end of Lars and the Real Girl actually buy the relationship that they set up. So I'll go ahead and it doesn't matter at this point, but I'll throw my vote for Lars as well. And I know um, Ryan uh, Gosling at this point, you know, has a great career and tons of great performances. But this one just even it, it's lesser talked about. But this is he's so good in this movie. Like genuinely, it's just such an amazing performance. All right, well, Lars and the Real Girl will go on to face Forgetting Sarah Marshall in round two. Mm, and now for our next matchup here in the wild card, we have Meet the Parents versus Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, Meet the Parents was released in 2000. It is directed by Jay Roach and stars Ben Stiller, Terry Polo, and Robert De Niro. And then we have Crazy Rich Asians, which released in 2018. It is directed by John M. Chu. It stars Constance Wu, Henry Golding, and Michelle Yeoh. This is tough, man. Obviously, this is the comedic part of the bracket, kind of leaning more towards that. This is a tough one. And a great matchup here, too, because both of these plots involve meeting meeting the parents. parents. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. I can go ahead and start, and I just want to know, I I submitted Crazy Rich Asians. Had you guys seen this one before? This is my first time. I watched it while on an international flight when I couldn't sleep. I was like, I guess I'll try and find a movie. Oh, I haven't seen Crazy Rich Asians, and I watched it. And I loved it at the time, and this is my second time watching. I still really enjoy it. Crazy Witch Agents, I think, is like the better version of Meet the Parents. I think the story is way more fun. I love how they how the filming is set in Singapore, which isn't a city that you kind of see a lot in like broad movie releases. I love how much fun they have with the wealth of these families. Like, I think that makes this movie so much fun. Just seeing like all the expensive cars, all the the bachelor party is a real is a real highlight for me. Um, and and I think a lot of the comedy in Crazy Witch Asians works really well, especially with uh, Constance Wu's character kind of being thrust into this lifestyle having no idea until she gets to the airport that her boyfriend is in an international like wealthy uh son of a business family so i i'm gonna vote for crazy rich asians the comedy really works for me i think the story is really fun and i think it is kind of the better version to meet the parents man i love both i like both these movies but i really love meet the parents i've seen it so many times but as far as crazy rich asians yeah i do agree with you austin it was it's a cool movie uh, I like that it, you know, we kind of get a different view and a different like, culture, I guess. You know, most of these movies take place in America or with Americans. So uh, I did like that aspect of it. We get more of like an Asian culture and what, what their family values are about and all that. It's also worth mentioning, too, that the entire cast and crew of this movie were all Asian. And it like shattered box office records when it released, which was a really big deal at the time. It wasn't like, a, it wasn't like Aladdin where it's set in the Middle East, but then they have Billy Magnuson come in for no reason. Like yeah. a white guy. It's like, <laughs> so weird. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely some funny characters for sure. And I think the relationship between um, the main characters was definitely believable. Yeah. I think you buy the, the motivations of the parents in Crazy Rich Asian a little bit more than Meet the Parents. Because in Meet the Parents, Robert De Niro's really just being an ass and overprotective of his daughter. Yeah. Whereas in Crazy Rich Asians, the parents, their motivation is, I, I need to know that you're willing to buy into this family and really work to make the family work. And that's kind of what, that's where the mom is coming from. And I, I think her motivation, she's not just being an ass for the sake of being an ass. She has all these values that have been instilled in her and she wants to make sure that the right girl is, is coming home and, and going to be engaged to her son. And it's a great element, too, because you find out in the movie that she was essentially, for you know lack of a better way to say it, she was in 
the position that uh, Constance Wu's character was as well. You know, she was not yeah. wealthy and she kind of had to go through the ringer to get in with this family. And so she's kind of knowing where that character is coming from and how hard it is and doesn't believe she can do it. But yeah, I, we got to highlight. I mean, Constance Wu and Henry Golding, man, this chemistry is just like, it's palpable, dude. They're so good in this movie. They're so good together. They really are. Um, this... And I, I really, really like Henry Golding's character yeah. in, this, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he might be one of the best like romantic comedy guy characters that we have on our list today. Like he's he's so charming. He's so nice. Like he, he doesn't actively do anything to fuck up the relationship. And that kind of happens a lot in these types of movies. His, his biggest sin was that he didn't let her know that he comes from this wealthy family because he himself is trying to live kind of a normal life. So he's a good actor, that guy. Yeah. Uh, I liked him in, he was in the, uh, the gentleman. That's I right. Believe, too. Yeah. yeah. Very, yeah. very different role in the gentleman, but yeah, he's great. But Keith, tell me more about your love for meet the parents. Oh yeah. I love meet the parents, man. It's so funny. I never, every, every, every joke in that movie still gets me to this day. All the awkwardness between <laughs> Ben Stiller's character and Robert De Niro's character is so funny especially when he just first arrives there and they go to the store together and he's asking, oh, yeah. you know, kind of interrogating him and everything like that. And then there's a, the list goes on with all the different awkward moments, like the whole, whole uh, I have nipples, Greg, can you milk me? I love that moment. The whole jinxy cat thing that he, you know, he has to fake the whole cat thing. There's just the Owen Wilson going to the Owen Wilson's oh house God. and Wilson's hitting the volleyball into her face. It's so funny, man. Um, <laughs> Which is why this yeah. is tough because I think the relationship in Crazy Rich Asians works better. Yeah, I don't buy Ben Stiller and Terry Polo's relationship at all. But the comedy, meet the parents. But, but the, I do love, I do love the awkward situations. And the, the comedy, I meet the parents is, is I don't know, you can't match it. I think. I think yeah. I think even though this is the comedic part of the bracket, I do think in a weird way, Crazy Rich Asians. It is funny when it's trying to be. It's just not trying to be as funny as often as Meet the Parents is. So it's kind of a weird thing. But yeah, Keith, are you voting for Meet the Parents, do you think? I think I have to throw a foot to Meet the Parents, yeah. This is tough. I think Meet the Parents is so funny. It still holds up in terms of the comedy for me. Who would have thunk that Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro being paired together would have worked as well as it did? My problem now kind of thinking back on it with Meet the Parents is it's definitely a romantic comedy. There's no doubt about that. I disagree with Austin that Ben Stiller and Terry Polo don't have chemistry, but I agree with him that it's weirdly not the focus of the movie really at all. In, in fact, I mean, the whole point of the movie is she's kind of just gone for periods of time and it's more about Ben Stiller and having scenes with Robert De Niro, which is great. It's hilarious. But that's where it's tough because the relationship in Crazy Rich Asians is just constantly being developed and is so interesting. So, oh man, it's so hard. Uh, this is our first also, and this is our first like one where we have like a tiebreaker here. I think I do know the answer though. What it comes down to is... I think there is one of these movies that is just better than the other. It is lacking in a couple of my criteria, but I just think it's such a well-made movie. Um, I think it's a, a classic, but I think it's a modern classic. I think I have to vote Crazy Rich Asians. I love Meet Ooh. the Parents. Every single point Keith made, I 100% agree with. It's just, I think Crazy Rich Asians does put a bit more of a spotlight on the relationship. And it might be the best relationship on the list now that i'm looking at it, it could be so that gets big points i do think it's, it's really a very funny. healthy relationship yeah i think it's extremely funny i bet keith the one thing that it is lacking is meet the parents is like trying to be funnier more often so i am kind of giving crazy rich asians a little i guess negative point there but the romance is so good it is funny when it's trying to be so i think it's just a better movie but i love meet the parents but i think i gotta vote crazy rich asians on this one 
All right. Well, Crazy Rich Agents will go on to face Whiting Crashers in round two. And now for the final matchup in our wildcard round, we have About Time versus Silver Linings Playbook. Ooh. About Time was released in 2013. It is directed by Richard Curtis. It stars Dom Hall Gleason, Rachel McAdams, and Bill Nye. And then we have Silver Linings Playbook, which was released in 2012, directed by David O. Russell. It stars Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, and once again, Robert De Niro. I didn't really have a good name for this part of the bracket, so I just put tame. <laughs> so these are just pretty run-of-the-mill, not in a bad way, just kind of standard rom-coms. So where the hell do we start here, guys? This is a pretty interesting pairing, I feel like. I submitted Silver Linings Playbook. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is one of my favorite Bradley Cooper movies. It's also one of my favorite Jennifer Lawrence movies. I think it's perfect through and through. However, (gasps) About Time, I'd never seen it before, and it fucking destroyed me. Wow. My wife and I were bawling by the end of this movie. Nice. I did not expect any of these to make me cry, but this one got me. Yeah. And uh, I think it might have become one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Whoa! Watching it for this bracket. Wow. Yeah, by the end of it, my wife and I were both just sitting on the couch crying (laughs) as the credits were rolling. So I got, I did not expect this movie to affect me like it did, and I got to vote for About Time. I love it. I love it. I did submit About Time, so it makes me really happy that it, you know, really struck a chord in that kind of way. That's awesome. What about you, Keith? Have you seen About Time before? No, this is my first time watching it, and I really liked it as well. It's a a cool movie. And, you know, I'm a sucker for time travel movies, so I Mm -hmm. definitely really enjoyed that aspect of it. The acting was awesome. I really liked Domhnall Gleeson and uh, Rachel McAdams, and I can't remember the actor's name who plays his dad. Bill Nye. Oh, yeah, Bill Nye. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Nye. Um, Man, yeah, it was an awesome story. I love how at the beginning, too... uh, Dom Hall Gleason's character is just like, what about the butterfly effect? And his dad's like, ah, we've been doing it for like they basically just give the audience the yeah. excuse not to worry it's the about Looper it. They thing. just want to have yeah, fun. It's with like, it. how does this work? Is like, who gives a shit? Yeah, it's just there's time but travel. Also, this is how we're doing it. Who cares? Yeah, it's just a, it's just a fun movie. Just through it's and so, through, like perfectly melancholy too. Like I love how like the the comedy is so subtle. One of the like funniest parts I thought is when he first meets um, Margot Robbie's character and he's just learned about the time travel and he messes up putting suntan lotion on her back. And so he runs back inside and resets it. And I thought that that's how this movie was going to play out, where it was just going to be like a comedy of errors of him messing up with all these different girls and using the time travel to reset it. Uh-huh. And then it didn't take that path at all. He, he meets the girl that he falls in love with and then he works it. He works to benefit their relationship. And yeah. so I, that it just the fact that it wasn't predictable for me too really worked as well. I really like Silver Linings too. I've seen it probably three or four times now. It really touches on uh, mental health in a real way, I think. Yeah, I like that the characters aren't perfect in Silver Linings Playbook. And that's kind of like, they put that in the focus of the movie too. Yeah, and I think Bradley Cooper like is spot on with like his condition as a bipolar um, or a person that has bipolar. And same with Jennifer Lawrence and, and her mental condition and all that. And... And I like just how their family is supportive of that and also like trying to, you know, be there and carry their chaos. And yeah, I thought the acting from Robert De Niro uh, was excellent as well. Oh, um, yeah. And just the story. I just like the story of him following the Eagles and how it's all kind of revolving around that. I love the setup with the bet too, how they kind of make it play into the dance competition too. Yeah, because they had to find a way yeah. to make that pay off. And I think they nailed it with having that bet. Yeah. I was worried this one was going to have the, the 500 Days of Summer effect where I remember it being better than it actually is. And so I was a little bit nervous to rewatch this one because I hadn't seen it in a few years. And it, it still held up for me. I, I still think it's such a good movie. I think Silver Lightning's playbook is amazing. I think... Um... My favorite part about what you guys are saying is I do like how mental health is such, such a thing that's prominently displayed in the movie, and it's never 
a bad thing. Obviously, the characters make mistakes, but, you know, it's kind of treated in, I think, a good way. My favorite part about that is I love the scene where Robert De Niro has a breakdown and you kind of, it kind of feels like since he's the generation that he comes from, I I feel like at least the way the movie, without without directly saying it, is that he has some mental health issues that were never treated or he was never diagnosed and then he probably maybe passed them down to his son and they're a bit more prominent in Bradley Cooper's character. I just think it's really handled super well. I do love Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence's chemistry. My only real knock against the movie is that, and it's not even a knock against her as a character, it's just I always found, even when I first saw it, the writing of her, I can't even really describe it. It's just, I always thought it was weird that she's lying to him for as long as she is, and then they still have this weird payoff at the end of the movie where he goes to talk to his wife, and then she's writing fake letters to him and then he's like here's a letter i love you i wrote that a week ago it's like okay it it just feels like that was such a movie moment like it could have happened more organically yeah. but i still like it it's still fun and that scene that final scene that he has with robert de niro where he's basically telling him to go after her is so great and then they share a moment where he hugs him and tells his daddy loves him is so great too this is tough, Keith. I mean, we haven't voted yet. Austin has submitted a vote for about time. It kind of sounds like this is our first uh, bracket entry here where we just really like both of these movies quite a bit. So what do you think? What are you leaning towards? They're both so good, but I think I might have to lean towards about time. Wow. Um, this one really got me. About about time elicited a response for me that I did not expect to get from any of these movies. Was it the the final dad scene? Got you. Yeah, the final dad scene was really good, and then and just his his choices he makes for his girlfriend Rachel McAdams. It was like it was awesome. Yeah, he didn't he wasn't like a sleazebag like he could have been. He used his powers for good for the mo- for the most part. He tried to save his sister from the car accident. Well, he's just a sweet guy. That's why it's so cool. Is like he's just this genuinely nice guy that gets these time travel powers. And let's talk. I mean, the fact that he he foregoes meeting Rachel McAdams because he really wants to help out his friend who's having this big play that he's so you know passionate about open and then there's just this huge issue with one of the actors forgetting their lines and it leads to bad reviews so he's like you know what i'm just gonna forego meeting rachel mcadams because i want to help i want to forego my own happiness to help my friend and he makes it work and then he's still you know he's able to eventually kind of meet rachel mcadams anyway and it's like wow it's just yeah he's so sweet and the movie's just straight up funny especially at the beginning when he's like so awkward and talking to him in the art studio. And to Matt's point, though, I, I also love the relationship with his dad. That that was really what got me too towards the end. Like when they when they have to say their final goodbye because if he goes back too far, he'll miss the the birth of his son. Uh, whenever this movie finished, I like immediately wanted to rewatch it because I had such a good time watching it on the first time. I feel like uh, also we've already talked about it, but again, we talked about it with Crazy Rich Asians, and here I think. Another example of just Donald Gleason and Rachel McAdams just have dynamite chemistry. It's so good. And I do like what Austin said is they kind of get out, they get it out of the way early in terms of them, in, in terms of the movie, like they're, they're, they get together relatively quickly. And then most of the movie is just about them kind of making things work going forward. And I do love by the end, the message is kind of like, I live one day normally so I can actually live my life. And then occasionally I'll live that same day again to kind of enjoy it more enjoy my life it's not you know obviously as impromptu because it's the same day but you know kind of living life and then by the end he's like you know i barely kind of go back now i just kind of live my life with my family and having these powers made me kind of a better person and appreciate things and yeah it's just it's great it's great so i'm gonna vote for about time as well about time will unanimously move forward to face when harry met sally in round two 
Let's get into the first matchup of round two. We have Shrek versus A Knight's Tale. <laughs> Donkey. Donkey. I haven't seen Shrek in, I don't even know, man. Easily 10 years or more. Keith, you submitted Shrek, so why don't you tell us about your love for Shrek? <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> I love Shrek, man. It's always it's a good, good one. It de- I think it definitely meets the criteria as far as romance. You know, he's trying to help the- or get this princess back to her castle, then he ends up falling in love with her and all that. And then it also has the comedy with between him and Donkey. And just the animation in it's awesome. I think the story is, you know, not too dragged on. Um, it's pretty short and simple. I do think A Knight's Tale might be slightly funnier uh, than Shrek, but their relationship in A Knight's Tale is, is pretty garbage. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't really buy their chemistry at all. Yeah. And uh, I do I do think their relationship in Shrek is more believable. And I do like that it kind of subtly has a, it subtly has a nice message and theme about kind of loving uh, different body types and, and loving who you are, like yeah. just loving yourself. And so I, I like that theme too, especially in a kid's movie. Yeah. I was surprised that Shrek held up as well as it did. Um, I know it's it's a movie that people still talk about a lot and reference, and it had like three or four sequels, so of course it's still relevant in some way, but I was just really pleasantly surprised that it was still so funny and so fun, and then the romance actually worked and there was some good messaging in there. The chemistry, of course, with um, Shrek and Fiona is great, but Shrek and Donkey, man, that might be just a modern classic relationship period. It's so good. And I love that Donkey isn't just another, because I mean, Eddie Murphy did Mushu for Mulan, which I don't really, I love Mulan, but I don't really love that character for him because it, it kind of feels like it's just about making jokes and it doesn't really fit into the plot. But I love how Donkey is in, in the plot here, of course, to be fucking hysterical. That's a nice boulder. <laughs> that's what, that's what everyone, you know, obviously references the in waffles the morning, line. We're going to make waffles. <laughs> yeah. The boulder <laughs> line might be one that I just say under my breath all the time. That's a nice boulder. I love it. But um, I love at the end how he confronts Shrek and he's actually not doing it for conflict, but he's doing it because he's a genuinely good friend and he does care about Shrek. And he's telling him that he has to go after her. And he's telling him not to push him away because there's no reason he should. And it's just a great friendship. So it's a movie that has just an amazing friendship as well as a great romance. And Cameron Diaz is great as Fiona. And I do always love the reveal that she is dealing with this curse. And then I like that the message is she doesn't have a problem with being an ogre. The only thing is she her only issue is that she perceives it that people will find her ugly. And then Shrek, of course, doesn't. So it's like, that's her only issue. It's not like, I hate being an ogre. It's just, oh, no, people will think I'm hideous. And then that's not the case. So it's really cool. Also, of course, John Lithgow, shout out. Lord Farquaad, classic oh, yeah. villain. <laughs> so funny. Um, he has some really, I did not remember. He has some really funny movements in this one oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. With the uh, gingerbread man. Oh, yes. The gingerbread man scene is so great. Shout out as well to the just the fact that they set it in this fantasy world that I don't even know how they did it. I guess a lot of these characters must be like, um, like the rights must not be that big of an issue because I love that the fantasy world includes all these well-known characters like from nursery rhymes and fables and other movies like Pinocchio and then like the three blind mice and just it makes the world feel so cool. Yeah. It's not like it's a world of only humans that there's this ogre it's like no there's actually this is just a normal thing it's so great and i don't want to have to talk about it but we do have to talk about that this movie made smash mouth and 
<laughs> the songs they use are, of course, classics for a reason. That's a great they soundtrack. They don't fit into the movie at all. It makes no sense what they're playing. <laughs> a Night's Tales don't either, but it's used so so perfectly, too. And, yeah. Like, I think yeah. both of these yeah, movies yeah. have the best, probably, soundtrack yeah. in, in these brackets. Yeah. Um, a Night's Tales, I think, might take it a little bit more more for me, just the way they use Queen in that intro. Yeah, I, I agree. But yeah, the, the, the Smash Mouth stuff is great in Shrek. I, I do like that Keith mentioned, I mean, because it is an animated movie, we should bring it up, that this movie is over 20 years old now. And you can, I mean, it looks like old um, animation, but it still looks amazing. Like, it, you can, you know that it's yeah. from a while ago. It's not, like, super timeless, but it looks incredible like you can still see the pores on characters faces it's like wow that, they did this so long ago but it looks so great and holds up so none of us have submitted a vote so i mean before we vote is this choice easy for you guys or is it a bit tougher it's pretty easy for me because as funny as i did find a knight's tale i still think that relationship is garbage especially like um jocelyn is like you need to lose for me but now you need to win for me and she just like enjoys like weirdly watching him be- get beat up for some reason i don't think those two actors have any chemistry when they're on screen together i was actually buying for him to get with kate the armorer instead their oh, relationship yeah. seemed more natural for me um so i think just going solely on the relationship and the fact that it does still have some really funny scenes all vote for shrek i do want to shout out a knight's tale again because we didn't talk about it too much we talked about it of course in the first round but here it is still a really fun movie i like the, like you said the way they incorporate music is just so fun when you contrast it with the setting that they're in great side characters for me that is actually maybe kind of a must yeah. for uh rom-coms i love when there's like a nice little ensemble of fun side characters and this one has one of the best for sure Paul Bettany, Mark Addy from Game of Thrones early on, Robert Baratheon, of course, and then uh, Alan Tudyk, of course. Always great. We need more Alan Tudyk. But the big uh, obvious flaw that you mentioned and I already mentioned is it has one of the weaker relationships on this bracket. Um, so it's tough. I think I'm probably going to go Shrek as well. But I do, last thing I'll say is the Keith and I, of course, also reference this a lot. But whenever he finds his dad again and he says that he's found his star. Top tier scene. So I do want to call that one out. I also love there's a there's a great uh, skyline shot of London and they still have the London Eye, but they took the time to make it wooden. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, the London yeah, Eye yeah. opened in, in 98, but it's a medieval setting. Uh, there, there's just so many subtle things in A Knight's Tale that are just so funny if you look close enough. Yeah. I love that scene when they go back to London and then Lizzie, uh, the boys are back in town, is playing in the background. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. classic. But uh, I think Shrek, though, I think might have to take it for me just because it kind of... Brings in the, yeah, I think it has a better romance story. I do like how it brings in, like you said, Matt, the uh, like the fairy tale characters mm-hmm. like Pinocchio, Snow White, the Seven Dwarves and all that. Um, and Lord Farquaad is hilarious in it. But yeah, yeah, I think I'll have to go with Shrek. All right. Shrek will move on to the semifinals. And now for our second matchup of round two, Ugh. we have Forgetting Sarah Marshall versus Lars and the Real Girl. Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, I was so nervous to start this one on a rewatch because I was convinced it would not hold up, and I was pleasantly surprised to find out it's still funny as hell. Yeah, this is definitely our kind of just by the way the uh, things won in the first round. This is kind of the one of the harder ones because it's just drastically, drastically different movies. So this is going to be tough. But yeah, just to start it off, I definitely agree. Um, we talked about how much we like Lars and the Real Girl, but Forgetting Sarah Marshall, man, definitely leans more comedic, but it's super funny. So it still holds up. Definitely. I would agree with that. Just from the beginning of it, whenever he's, he, he gets, he gets broken up with and he's standing there naked. <laughs> <laughs> and he's all awkward and he's crying and he goes to the club and he's like, I want to bring you home tonight. And he's just so, he's such an awkward character. 
<laughs> Jason Siegel Jason Siegel makes this movie and I was also I forgot I had forgotten how big of a part Bill Hader has in this movie but his character has some great scenes too especially at the end in the play <laughs> when he's like singing at the top of his lungs yeah I love that scene when Bill Hader's at his house do you want to go there right now do you really want to go there right now and he's like <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, God, he's so fucking good dude in the club whenever he's like you don't need to put your d in a v right now and then jason's like i want to be my l over someone's d's <laughs> just so good the improv you can feel it and it's just amazing oh my goodness i was uh so surprised at how well russell brand's character holds up too there's a there's a like that character just in the way like a normal rom-com would play out is that character should be an ass and you should hate him as an audience member but i he might be my favorite character in this movie he's so fucking cool man like i like that he's just out there trying to live his life he doesn't really have any like uh negative motivations he just has his own personal beliefs and and he just kind of does what he wants to on a daily basis i love the scenes with russell brand and jonah hill's character those are so funny. Oh my god. Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah, and that's of course what inspired get him to the Greek too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um I think Aldous Snow, what a name. Uh great performance by Russell Brand. And yeah, I totally agree. I, I like when movies do that, especially in rom coms where the quote unquote villain, the person that's currently with the like the person that our protagonist wants to be with is an asshole. I don't I don't really like it too often when they do that. I like when I mean, I guess I don't know if I have to say he's like a super nice guy, but he's definitely at least a, a nice, totally fine guy. It was just like you said, going about his life. And like, he's actually trying to help people too, like, that he deems like kind of yeah. horrific whenever he helps Jack McBrayer's character. I mean, of course it's ridiculous, but he does actually kind of help him kind of feel more comfortable about sex. And it's like, no, oh, that's actually kind of sweet. It's played for laughs, but it is cool to see that character do that. And yeah, this one, this one's kind of weird now that I'm thinking about it as well, because obviously with rom-coms, you got to consider the relationship. And of course, Jason Siegel and Mila Kunis' relationship is kind of the forefront. But I mean, a large part of the movie is also him kind of dealing with, do, do I want to be back with Sarah? Who's, of course, like in the movie a lot as well because of the premise. So it is kind of tough. I mean, do you guys think they balance that really well? Kind of like him dealing with uh, Kristen Bell, but then also wanting to move on with Mila Kunis. Did that work for you guys? I, I like how they're both trying to get over breakups kind of together. And they, they kind of uh, are able to move forward with the help of each other. Like, both their characters kind of rub off on each other. I do think Kristen Bell's character may have too much of a presence in the movie. Um, I, I kind of would have enjoyed some more scenes of Jason Segel and Mila Kunis kind of building their relationship together. But this movie does really only take place over, like, the course of four days. So right. they, they were kind of, like, it, it is kind of rushed, their romance. I, I like that the movie, even though it's just, like, a hilarious comedy, is it does have, like, kind of real feeling moments. The fact that, like, it takes uh, a guy leaving her to oh, I, I should get with my ex or something like that. And it's like, oh, you know, I can kind of relate to that. And then he goes along with it because he has this long standing relationship with her. And then he immediately realizes, oh, my God, this is a mistake. I'm, I, I really enjoy Mila Kunis', Mila Kunis' character. What am I doing? And then he tries to fix it. Is it too late? So, yeah, I like that there are kind of real moments of confronting <laughs> like actual real life relationships as well. I mean, the movie's called Forgetting Sarah Marshall, so he's trying to get over that. And I think they do it in a cool way. And I don't know. I, I, I really like this movie. I think. And again, we did also talk about how we have to have great side characters. And wow, oh, there are yeah. some just stand out side characters here. I know Keith and Austin, you guys, Paul Rudd in this movie. Wow. It's oh my so God. good. Yeah. So funny. So funny. I think I'm ready to cast my vote, so, so I'll go ahead and make and make my statement, and then let you guys react. 
um, I think I kind of have to go back to with with the point I made with the Knight's Tale and Chasing Amy. Um, I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall and, and Lars and the Real Girl both have great elements to them, and and I do like both of the relationships in this movie as different as they are. However, I did just enjoy Forgetting Sarah Marshall slightly more, so I'm going to throw a vote for that one. I get that. Definitely fair. Uh, we definitely kind of just gushed over Forgetting Sarah Marshall just now, I, and I love it. This is not a case of like, you know, I, I, I can't really use the argument one's better than the other necessarily, because I think with what these movies are trying to accomplish respectively, they both nail it. And Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I love to pieces. I just think with my kind of, the stuff that I look for, I, I agree that maybe this is more of a traditional rom-com, so maybe I'm kind of breaking with my own criteria here. I just love Lars and the Real Girl. I know I submitted it, so it's like, of course, but I think I'm going to vote for it just because I like what it achieves. I think it's more interesting. I I, I really just find the relation again, I go, I go back to what I was saying earlier, it's so unconventional, but I genuinely find the relationship, as odd as it is, how real it feels, and then how he takes that experience and genuinely is able to make a positive change for himself and the people around him. And so it's like he uses this doll as a way to not only understand love, but he genuinely also uses it kind of as an excuse to be closer with his family, who he's kind of ostracized himself from. So I, I just love it. And then by the end, seeing how it's like it's one of those things where you don't really need to wonder like what he's going to do next. You know, when the credits are rolling, it's like regardless of that, if that relationship works out with um, his coworker, I guess, at the office, either way, you know, he's better off. And so it just leaves me feeling super like happy for him. Whereas forgetting Sarah Marshall, it's like, I never really got the impression that like these two are soulmates, if that makes sense. They just had a really fun four days and they did kind of fall for each other. And then at the end, they kind of get over their fight that they had and then they kiss. But I do, I'm, I am kind of like, I don't think this is going to last at all. So it's not a knock against the movie. It's just, I feel like Lars and the Real Girl does have that. So it's kind of a little edge up. So I'm going to vote for Lars and the Real Girl. My biggest issue with, with Lars and the Real Girl is it's not like the town and his, and his brother and his wife have to like learn to accept Ryan Gosling's character. Like he already has the support yeah. system in place at the start of the movie. And so I, I don't think there's a huge change in his relationships um, kind of like by the end of the movie. Like the girl at the office already had a crush on him at the start of the movie. So the only person that really grows in this movie is Ryan Gosling's character. And I just think the way it's executed, like, it almost kind of makes him kind of seem like an ass because he, all these people are trying to help him from the start of the movie and he won't accept any of it. And then he forces this doll upon all of them and they all work around him and he's still not really accepting their like reach for help until Emily Mortimer's character kind of gets onto him and says, aren't you aware of what's going on here? As much as I like Ryan Gosling's performance in the movie, his character was kind of hard to root for throughout the movie. Hmm. I do feel like they did a good job, though, with the scenes with um, his doctor, Patricia Clarkson, kind of diving into why that might be the case with his backstory and how his mom died when he was so young. And then I guess his dad also died, if I'm trying to remember. And on top of that, his brother left him. And so it's kind of one of those things where maybe he has some form of autism or Asperger's. They never really go into that. But maybe he's just super shy. It's kind of hard to tell. But either way, it's like they give us a good reason why accepting help and just support might be hard for him because he's never had it. So I do agree with you that the only person that really does kind of grow is him. And I guess you could make an argument that his brother does as well for the positive a little bit. Um, I just think I do like the arc he has. So I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, I can understand that. But for me, it worked. So that's all I'll say. What about you, Keith? You are responsible for breaking this tie. Are you going to go with something 
super hysterical, like forgetting Sarah Marshall, or something a bit more down to earth, like Lars and the Real Girl. What are you feeling? Lars and the Real Girl is definitely the more interesting movie of the two, but I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think which one fits the criteria more, and it might, it might have to be forgetting Sarah Marshall. I think okay. it, it's a, it's a big love triangle or square, I guess you can call it, with two yeah. different relationship or two different couples. Definitely meets the comedy criteria for sure. I laugh my ass off throughout this entire movie. I can go on and on about all the moments that uh, make me laugh in it. Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall will go on to face Shrek in the semifinals, and let's let's keep moving here in round two. We now have Wedding Crashers versus Crazy Rich Asians. Love Wedding Crashers, hilarious movie. Um, I think it's not, it's one of those other ones that that fits the uh, what I called earlier the rom com formula, where you know he chases the girl, gets the girl. And then pisses her off, and then he has to go get her back. Definitely fits that. And then there's so many funny moments with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson and Bradley Cooper and, and uh, Christopher Walken. Wedding Crashers surprised me which how, with how well some of the jokes held up. I, I, this was another one I thought was not going to have aged well. However, I don't buy the um, I don't really buy the Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams relationship by the end of it. It feels so rushed, and I actually found myself enjoying the Vince Vaughn yeah. and, and Gloria Isla Fisher relationship more towards the end of this one. It seemed like their relationship was more believable, I guess, just because they're such weird people mm-hmm. and they kind of found each other at this wedding. I don't know. There's something about Owen Wilson's character I just did not really enjoy on a rewatch. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. I couldn't really place it. That's an issue. I agree with you. I've, I've kind of always felt that way. And I do not mean any disrespect to Owen Wilson when I say this. I love Owen Wilson, but there is a scene in this movie where like, it it must be like I think it's when they're playing football and like you have tons of scenes where uh Bradley Cooper and uh Owen Wilson are kind of together for the first time and again no disrespect it's just so odd because like she's with Bradley Cooper who's an asshole I'm not saying she should be with this character but you look at him and then it's like I don't want to be with him and then you look at Owen Wilson who has like he has his classic weird like blonde mop he looks like he's 50 (laughs) like that's the guy i'm gonna be with it's just such a weird like difference it's just i think kind of leads he's so like self-absorbed too yeah like vince vaughn is doing everything he can to help him get with rachel mcadams and he's still not even like caring about his friend whenever he's on the ground with all of his ribs broken from bradley cooper and his friend is like living here getting like sexually assaulted by the brother basically and it's like (laughs) owen wilson's like we have to go i'm in love with rachel mcadams who's like like my daughter's age probably uh it's definitely it's definitely odd that being i love wedding crashers i i can't deny that it's so damn funny there's no doubt about that i think the the pairing of owen wilson and vince vaughn was always amazing and i love the premise of the movie yeah. the premise is actually one of my favorite on the list it's like these guys are just kind of normal dudes they're divorce lawyers which is kind of a fun role for people to have we don't see a lot in movies and then whenever wedding season rolls around they kind of just go have fun and have sex and i like that they're not i do agree with austin obviously there is some ego issues and self being self-absorbed with these characters that is kind of their fatal flaw, you might say. But for the most part, they're kind of nice guys. They're not going to these weddings to fuck anybody over. And in fact, you actually, they make all these weddings better. Like they're not going just to get drunk and have sex. Like they're actually kind of like doing their part to make them super memorable. And like seeing the way they interact with people in that opening montage, dude, I love the wedding montage is so good. And it's like, oh, this is actually kind of fun how they leave a positive impact. And then... That's where it obviously kind of takes a turn as part of the premise whenever he actually kind of falls for Rachel McAdams' character. And it's like, okay, we're going to go spend a weekend with them. And that's kind of the whole shenanigans of the movie, if you will. 
Um, and that's also where it kind of goes down a little bit for me. Not a lot, but I do agree with Austin that it's just the relationship is kind of, I never really fully was able to buy into it with uh, Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams. It's just the fact that he tries to keep the lie going all the way through the weekend yeah. with her family. It's like, that's when it gets like a little bit more nefarious because it's one thing to lie to get yourself into a wedding, I guess. It's another thing to try and exactly. build an entire relationship off of that lie. Yeah. That's where it's kind of gross. Something else I do want to call out though is I forgot how good the Christopher Walken character is in that movie oh, yeah. too. I, oh, was, I really liked him by the end of Wedding Crashers. <laughs> She's not just another notch on your belt. I'm a very powerful man. <laughs> the scene at the wedding when Gloria is, is trying to convince her dad to let Vince Vaughn come back to the island with her, <laughs> even though there's no dialogue and you can't hear any of it. It's so funny. Yeah. It's so good. I think um, another kind of reason why the Vince Vaughn uh, Isla Fisher relationship works so well is because you find out at the end that she's been lying to him. So it doesn't feel as nefarious by the end with them. And it's like, oh, so once they're both finally telling each other the truth, they actually are able to build, even though they're both crazy characters, they, are, they can build kind of a real thing. Again, it's while I like the premise of the movie, it also does a like Austin said, it does a huge disservice to the main relationship, which is Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams, because he's lying for so much of the movie. And then the truth comes out, not by his choice. And then it's like, oh, I hate fuck you. I hate you. Obviously, she has every right to feel that way. Yeah. And then it's like, <laughs> of course, because of the premise, they can't see each other for a while. And then he just shows up at the end and it's like, we're together. And it's like, eh, I don't really buy that. But. It is still a great movie. Hilarious. Will Ferrell, of course, everybody talks about. Nobody knew he was in it when this movie was coming out. And then he's in it at the end and they're hitting funerals now. And it's just so insane. We've talked a lot about Wedding Crashers. Um, it, it is going up against Crazy Rich Asians, though. Um, I, I think for me, the, the biggest thing is I do not buy the relationship between Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams. And as we talked about with Crazy Rich Asians, the relationship there is so good and probably the healthiest relationship in this bracket today. Um, and I think it, it does also have some truly funny moments, especially with Ken John's character, the Aquafina character. Um, I, I really like that she kind of has that constant Wu's character kind of has her group of friends kind of rallying around her. And then also the relationship between her and her mother kind of ties into the relationship between her and Henry Golding's mother. Uh, so I, I overall, I just think Crazy Rich Asians is a more, uh, I guess, sweeter movie in a way than Winning Crashers is. Yeah. And uh, just the relationship is top notch. So I think all I will... And as great as I think Wedding Crashers is and, and as funny as I think it is, I, I think I will throw a vote for Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, I think um, also that final scene with uh, Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh is just so good. I love it so much whenever they kind of finally are able to come together. And then I love how the movie kind of like one ups what you think it's going to do in terms of predictability. Like whenever Henry Golding come, rushes on the plane, it's like, oh, classic thing. Movie's about to end. He's going to get her back, propose to her. But when he opens that ring and it's the mom's ring that they built up what that means, it's like, oh, wow, that's pretty fucking cool. They do find a way to make that scene really funny, too, with him interacting with all the passengers yeah. and, and everything like that, too. I will say this, though, before Keith and I vote, I have a feeling, and Keith, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you and I are in the same boat here. While I love both of these movies, the reason it's such a tough choice is, once again, we have a movie like um, Wedding Crashers, which is just so fucking funny. And I, I think Wedding Crashers, for me, is definitely funnier than Crazy Rich Asians because of just the actors they chose and like how often it's trying to make jokes and stuff. But I do agree that Crazy Rich Asians, though, it has the romance side nailed way more. So it's like, which do we go with here? I'm genuinely, what are you thinking? Because I'm, I'm kind of at a stuck position right now. I just cannot buy the Wedding Crashers relationship at all. Like, there's <sighs> yeah. no way after you learn that this guy's been lying to you for like three straight <laughs> days true. now. There's no way that relationship works. <laughs> even if even if your current boyfriend's an ass, you just dump your current boyfriend and find somebody else. You don't go back to Owen Wilson. <laughs> Owen Wilson. Uh, 
I think I have to go Wedding Crashers, though. And I still agree with everything you said, Austin, about Crazy Rich Keith Asians. Keith just hates Crazy Rich Asians. I like it. It just—it's just not. It just does not meet the the comedy criteria for me. Well, I think Wedding Crashers meets both uh, for me. Even though I know the Rachel McAdams and Owen Wilson is yeah, the relationship is a little weaker. De- definitely weaker than the one in Crazy Rich Asians, but it, it meets both though. It's got the it's got the the boy chasing girl, and it's got the comedy as well. So I'm going Wedding Crashers. This. Ugh. There's actually been some deceptively hard ones, hard matchups today that I didn't think were going to be that hard. That was a hard one to make. I honestly was really close to choosing Crazy Rich Agents, but I got to go Wedding Crashers. This one's hard because Wedding Crashers is genuinely like one of my favorite comedies. Like if we were just doing comedies, it might also show up on a list I was putting together. I'm not sure if it would, but it might. Um, but again, this is not that. This is rom-coms. And it is weird because Crazy Rich Asians, I do think actually does, I would say, lean way more into the romance. It is funny when it's trying to be. But now that I'm kind of thinking back, it's not super about that, which is which is a knock against it when you compare it to something like Wedding Crashers. But again, I totally agree with Austin that the relationship in Wedding Crashers, especially over time, it, it just gets weirder and worse upon rewatching. Wedding Crashers is, is for sure funnier. I don't think there's any yeah, doubt about that. Yeah, that's what I'm having trouble with. The relationship is just kind of garbage for me. All right. I think I'm ready to choose. I think I kind of made my point for myself already. I think if I was doing a comedy bracket... Wedding Crashers would go super far for me. But the fact that Crazy Rich Asians does have really funny stuff in it, again, not nearly as much, and the relationship is so great, I do think, specifically for a rom-com matchup, I think I have to go with Crazy Rich Asians. Okay. Well, Crazy Rich Asians will move on to the semifinals. And for our final matchup of round two, we now have When Harry Met Sally versus About Time. So, Matt, you, uh, you submitted both of these movies. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So we gushed about About Time, and that's still definitely the case. Um, the thing with When Harry Met Sally is I think a lot of people would fairly say, uh, kind of, actually this kind of is coming up organically because we've talked a lot already about the formula that these movies have, which is basically boy slash girl meets the person they're going to be with. It's kind of rocky at the beginning, and then eventually they get together, and then something in the third act happens, and then they're not friends, they're not in a relationship, and then... The person that wronged the other one right at the end runs up and fixes it, and then it's all happy ever after. This movie kind of created that formula in a lot of ways, so I think it definitely deserves points for popularizing that for sure. And I think When Harry Met Sally, man, I think it's a classic, and I think it's a classic for a reason. I love it. I love it. And it still holds up for me. Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, I love their relationship. I love how I love how it sets up them meeting, and it's kind of different from a lot of movies where they don't like each other at all. They're just doing a road trip because they have to. But then it like it keeps moving a few years in the future and they keep having these weird run-ins. And then they eventually just decide to be friends. And they're actually friends. And I love whenever Meg Ryan's like, oh, can uh, boys be friends with girls now? And he's like, yeah, of course. And he's like, but you said that they couldn't because sex gets in the way. He's like, I never said that. <laughs> it's like, I just I love that kind of stuff. And it's so funny for me. Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby is kind of this movie's side characters, if you will. Um so good and I love, I love how they get together so it has like a second organic relationship that happens that's really fun to watch come together and by the end it's one of those movies where i'm just rooting for it i totally believe the chemistry i'm it's like and the movie it was so smart to make them friends for so much of it because the whole time it's like ah, oh, i wish they would just get together finally by the end and then whenever they finally have sex and it's like oh i'm i'm, I'm getting too caught up in my head i can't do this and then they kind of aren't friends and then by the time they have that great line in the end that classic line where he's like once basically something like once you know who you want to spend the rest of your life with, you you want that to start 
immediately or something like that. And they get together. And I love the little interstitials with like um, the couples talking about how they met in real life. And then it ends with Harry and Sally telling theirs. So I love the movie. I love About Time as well. But I want to hear from you guys about When Harry Met Sally, since this is such it's the oldest movie on our list and it's a classic. And I'm guessing, had you guys seen this before? I have not seen it. This is my first time as well. Oh, okay, and nice. Here's the thing about When Harry Met Sally. This movie should be five minutes long. The second he gets into her car and spits grapes on her window, she should pull over and say, Harry, get out of my car. And then credits. That seems so funny. I was just putting myself in that situation. I was like, there's no way I'm spending 18 hours in a car with this guy if if it started out this way. He on purpose, though. He thinks the window's open. Was that your car, Austin, or was that someone else's? Where I like, I was, chewing, I was chewing. Maybe it was Keith. I was chewing gum and sneezed. And that was me. That was, that was my car. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it makes me. Gum think just of. splatters right in the windshield. All right. Well, Austin, I appreciate your point, but talk more about. Let's say, because since it wasn't five minutes, it was ninety. So, what? What actually? What do you think of the rest? Of it? Like I said, though, this this was my first time seeing it, so I wasn't expecting the time jumps. Uh, so that caught me off guard, and I, I did really enjoy it too. Like you said, that I, I, you do really buy their friendship. And I I love how they're meeting at different points in their life. At at one point, Harry's married, and and then he's going through a divorce. Uh, Meg Meg Ryan's character is is, uh, just coming off of her, like, kind of first serious relationship ending. So I like that they're meeting at all these various points of their life. I just, I think it's just something about Harry's character. The way they introduced him, I was not on board with his character. And it it is kind of hard to believe that, like, that Sally's type of character would would want him in her life. Like, it it doesn't seem like these two should be friends. Different for me. I think that's why... Uh, Meg Ryan's character liked him like that's why they were friends because he was entertaining he was obnoxious and that's why she didn't like him at first but then he kind of warms up to her because they're able to they're they're able to talk so openly with each other as friends Mm -hmm. and um, yeah I just I I definitely bought into their relationship I do really like how both of their characters positively uh, have an impact on each other's lives though like uh, Harry kind of causes Sally to to not be so uptight and and not take things so seriously and Sally kind of causes Harry to think about what he wants from relationships more and I guess just try he basically has to become a better person because of Sally all right well now's the tough part because now you know we can talk about when Harry met Sally all we want but we do have to now compare it to about time awesome why don't you start because you in our first round, said about time on your first watch might be one of your new favorites. Just not even rom-coms, just one of your favorites. So I imagine you're probably going to go that way, right? Hands down, I'll definitely uh, vote for about time. I just, I think there's so many great relationships in this movie. It's not just Dom Hall Gleason and Rachel McAdams' relationship. It's the relationship with his sister, the relationship with his coworker who becomes kind of his best man. And, and it's the relationship with his father by the end gets you too. And like, if we were going to make a top 10 list today of our favorite movies, I would have to put about wow. time on there. It had that much of an impact awesome. on me. I'm still, as usual, trying to formulate my decision here. But Keith, are you leaning one way or the other? I know you I know you didn't love about time as much as Austin did, but still, since you like both of these movies. Probably not as much as him, but really did love it. Yeah. Um, going back to When Harry Met Sally, yeah, it was my first time watching the same thing with About Time. Um, and I did enjoy the, the whole story. I thought the story was interesting. I liked I like that how their friendship worked, kind of like how they, you know, had intervals of like five or six years where they wouldn't see each other. And then she'd be like, oh, it's Harry. I know that guy. And he kind of annoyed her. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then they, I like how they finally become friends and because they just kind of accept each other's personalities. And then obviously towards the end, they get together and everything like that. It's a good story. And it was entertaining. And I think Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan were funny overall. But I think I'm going to have to go with About Time just because I feel like it's more of a rewatchable movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there was just more in it that I liked. Uh, overall, I think when Harry met Sally, it's just, 
I don't know how to describe it. I guess it just is what it is. I don't know if it's something I want to watch all the time. I think About Time is something I could I could definitely rewatch in the future. They're both kind of the inverse of each other too. When Harry met Sally, like you see their friendship and then they form a relationship. Whereas in About Time, they, they start their relationship, they get married and then that's you know really the first third of the movie and then the sec the rest of the movie is them kind of building their life together starting their family and and interacting with their broader extended family as well yeah um well you guys made the decision for me thankfully um i i guess i don't know man i think i think while i love about time i think i might throw a vote for when harry met sally just because i've seen it the only thing it has above about time is a personal thing is that I've seen when Harry's met Sally so many times and it just gets better and better for me. Whereas I've seen about time maybe three times and I still love it. Um, but it's not like it's, it's such, it's like a newer film in comparison. So I don't have like that years long love for it. And, uh, I just appreciate when Harry met Sally so much. So I think I'm leaning towards throwing a vote for it, but at the same time, I think about time might also be deceptively like one of my favorites as well, even though I, I don't have like, as much experience with it so i don't have to vote thankfully but i could easily throw a vote one way or the other but just for shits and giggles i'll say when harry met sally all right well about time we'll go on to face crazy rich asians in the semifinals. and let's get into those semifinals right now our first matchup is shrek Versus forgetting Sarah Marshall. Wow, what a weird matchup. <laughs> what, did, uh, what did forgetting Sarah <laughs> Marshall compare these again? two? Up, okay, so yeah, forgetting Sarah Marshall went up against Lars and the Real Girl last. I voted for Lars. This might be one of those weird ways that the bracket works out, where even though I didn't vote for forgetting Sarah Marshall, uh, <laughs> I think I might this time. I guess I might be giving away my thoughts. Um, it's kind of actually the same thing when Harry met Sally versus uh, About Time. It's like Shrek is something that I have a years long love for. I watched it, I guess it must have been like right when it came out when I was like six years old. And then I've seen it a bunch of times. Although the last time I saw it was years and years ago. And it still held up. I really liked it. Um, it's really funny. The chemistry is really good. Donkey is maybe an all time greatest <laughs> movie character, I feel like. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> But I don't know, and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say what I'm thinking. I'm not, but maybe I'll let you guys see if you want to sway me. Maybe you don't. But I think the reason why I might lean towards forgetting Sarah Marshall this time is it's just also really funny. <laughs> you know, I know that sounds stupid, yeah. but I think the comedy just works on a different level where it's a bit more mature. Obviously, being an R-rated movie versus like a G or PG, and so that's kind of my humor. I really resonate with and. I like how he's trying to get over a past relationship and the premise is so funny, but then they run into each other at the same hotel. <laughs> he's like, I guess I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. Sarah always out of place. And Bill Hader's like, don't go there. <laughs> and he doesn't, of course. She's there and it's so good. I also love how he's like, people come to Hawaii, Sarah. It's not just because you're here. <laughs> the way the relationship forms with Mila Kunis. That's my only problem with the movie. I love them together. They have amazing chemistry, but... By the way of it being like a four day trip, it is kind of weird because like at one point they go on a date and he he's going to kiss her at the end. And she's like, oh, uh, no, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to make that awkward. And then it doesn't happen. It's like, oh, OK, I wonder what's going to happen from here since he has to like leave soon. Is this going to happen or not? And then they like go for a hike, jump into the ocean and then she just kisses him. And it's like, oh, and now from that point on, they're just kind of a classic rom-com relationship so that's my only negative I, I still like where they end up at the end but it's kind of like oh i guess they are gonna be together now it just happens in such a weird way for me um 
but it's just so damn funny. And I do like the chemistry and kind of the added real life feelings you get where it's like, oh, I can relate to trying to get over somebody and how hard that can be. But I can also relate to making mistakes where it's like, oh, maybe I should go back to that thing that in your mind sounds like a good idea, but in reality is kind of unhealthy. And it's one of the, it's the same thing with the character of Summer from 500 Days of Summer, where I always saw her as the villain when I was a kid. But now it's like, oh, she's not a villain. She's just that's a per that's a human thing she's doing. And I don't I don't villainize her at all. In fact, I kind of more villainize Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Whereas here, I don't villainize Sarah Marshall. I think she's, you know, she she made some mistakes. She cheated, but she's not a bad person. And uh, the movie doesn't really treat her that way, which I kind of like. And I don't I think it's a very human thing for her to try and get back with Jason Siegel. So I like how it kind of brings in feelings that make you relate with real life stuff in a movie that's so damn funny. So I'm kind of leaning towards that. I don't know. Are you guys going Shrek? Am I crazy for saying all this? I think the best thing about Forgetting Sarah Marshall is it, it forces these four main characters to interact and, and they all just have to be sit there and be human. And I, I think that is kind of one of the uniquely charming things about Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Shrek is also just so fucking I know, good. That's though, my too. problem. So, yeah, is this so is good. way harder than I thought it would be. I think, yeah, I think Shrek, I think Shrek is the better movie out of the two. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I think sure. I'd agree with that. But when it comes to romantic comedies, I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall might have to take it on this one. I think that's a good point because their relationship is, you don't know if it's going to last beyond the scope of the movie, but at least for the, for the purpose of the movie, you do buy that these two have kind of fallen for each yeah. other and uh, they do care about each other quite a bit too. I think you might have sold me there just because even though Shrek's a short movie, it does take a while. I mean, it's really more about Shrek and Donkey for a huge part of it until Fiona comes into the picture. And then even then, it's not really romantic. It's more about completing this mission and getting her back to the castle and then it just kind of happens like oh i am falling for this person so i'm not saying it's not believable it's just the way the movie is structured it's like it's less a it's kind of just a comedy for a long time whereas forgetting sarah marshall always does feel like even when characters aren't like falling in love it like there is stuff happening that feels romantic and even like before he gets with mila kunis you have like jack mcbrayer's character who's like struggling with sex and his 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 new wife and it's like oh okay so they're kind of bringing in elements constantly so that's a good point i think it's a it's not the better movie but it's it probably is a better rom-com so i think yeah maybe i will go for getting sarah marshall another plus two is is both of the main characters are kind of forced to take positive steps in their lives too like jason siegel's character finishes his play that he's been working on and and uh, mila kunis's character is going to go back to school whenever she arrives in la so they both do positively change each other too yeah that's true so you guys both gonna go that way as well yeah let's make it unanimous all right forgetting sarah marshall we'll move on to the final wow. okay and for our second matchup of the semifinals. We now have Crazy Rich Asians versus About Time. I think I can already go with this one. I think it, you know, About Time, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of the reasons if About Time is better than Crazy Rich Asians. I guess it has more comedy in it, and that's the reason that Crazy Rich Asians hasn't been voted on by me throughout this whole thing is because it just doesn't have as much comedy as these other movies. Yeah, I'll, uh, I know where Austin's going to go, so I'm just going to go ahead and jump in here real quick. Um this, I feel like this always happens with our brackets. It's like you would think that the semifinals would always be hard, but then you. I feel like each time we always get one where it's pretty easy. I love Crazy Rich Asians, but I'm going about time. I think um, for everything Keith just said, I actually completely agree with. Um, I don't know if their relationship or chemistry is better than Constance or Henry Golding, but it's definitely at the very least on par. And about time is hysterical. It's that kind of dry British humor that I love. And also smart kind of in uh, having Rachel McAdams as an American have that kind of 
play off of each other. So you get some extra comedy with like the culture shock as well. So it's kind of fun. Um, but it's so funny so often and the relationship is so good. And it's, I like Austin's talked about it a lot already that they kind of get that out of the way pretty early on in the movie. And the rest of it is about them kind of going about their life, which is pretty different from most rom-coms. It feels like they always end with them finally kissing, like we're going to be together. Um, this, we actually kind of get to see what happens, which is kind of cool. And by the end, they have a life together. They've been together years and have three kids. So it's pretty cool. It actually tackles some like real issues too, which a lot of rom-coms don't do. Like um, Dom Hoglison's sister has, has substance abuse mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. And there's a, an instance in the movie where she, you know, gets into a car accident and, and you also have to deal with parents dying. And, and that's not a lot of, that's not a lot of themes that pop up in these types of movies. So I did appreciate that. It, it did try to be like, kind of have a real human story too, in about time as well. I was going to say, he's just so awkward, you know, too, but he, yeah, he uses the uh, time travel for good. Even even from the very first time he uses it, he uses the time travel to go back and give his friend a, a kiss on New Year's Eve, which he didn't have the courage to do the night before. And you can tell that that really that girl really appreciates that he did that that evening. Like he, the time travel is so is used to always be positive in the movie. That's a good point you make, though, Austin, because it also doesn't just let him get away with making everybody's lives better. Um, it doesn't take away people's choice, which it easily could. I mean. Yeah, my, my parents are going to die, but I can always go back and see him because I can time travel. But they introduce an element where actually that's not the case because of the way I think Bill Nye says a specific sperm went to that specific egg. So it's like your kids are going to be different, basically. So they introduce that. So it's like, oh, my time travel can't always give me what I want. And I have to now confront the fact that I'm going to lose these people and what that means. And then the best example of the movie that you mentioned is my sister has substance abuse issues that leads to her getting into a really terrible accident. Uh, but actually, you know what? No, I'm just going to not let that happen. So, oh, well, but then it's like, oh, no, I can't do that because then again, the same thing with the kids, but it's really great because now it's like, oh, she can actually take steps to fix the issues that she has. Whereas if he had just time traveled, she would have just kept on going about her life. So it gives her a way to actually make things better for her. So I like that they don't always just let him get away with making everything better for everybody. It's like people have to take their own steps to make choices as well. And that, that whole sequence of events forces him and his wife to go be with his sister in the hospital and kind of sit in that moment with her too and, and really be there like kind of in, in a support role as well, which they didn't have to do prior to that because he was able to just use the time travel and, and make it all better. Yeah. Well, um, Austin. It sounds like we're all kind yeah. of unanimous here. I, I don't want to take anything away from Crazy Rich yeah. Asians. I've I, I voted for it every round, but uh, about time. Just I think it's I think it's got just the perfect mix of everything we've talked about, like with that Venn diagram. It's so funny. The romance is so great. And it's just also such an interesting story too definitely agree okay so we are now into the finals with two uh unanimous votes from the semi-final round prior we have forgetting sarah marshall versus about time i do like the matchup it's definitely definitely not what i expected it would be by the end but i think it's an interesting pairing i like it forgetting sarah marshall let's just kind of break it down then we'll then we'll it might help us make our decisions. So forgetting Sarah Marshall is definitely, I think it's definitely funnier than about time. Mm-hmm. It's funnier, but the, but the comedy in about time, I think is more clever. It's clever and it's, and it's different. Like you said, it's like that dry British humor. As far as romance goes, I think about time might beat it on the romance side. Yeah. Cause Rachel McAdams and Don Gleason just had the better relationship. I think the biggest thing that's kind of taking away from forgetting Sarah Marshall for me is, is kind of like what we've touched on. Well, it is so funny we still don't know if this relationship is going to last by the time the credits roll. You can buy it works for the duration of the film, but they don't do a very good job of, of establishing that this is going to be a good relationship that they've set up to last. 
Yeah, and to be clear, I don't think that's a bad thing to forgetting Sarah Marshall does that because that's what most rom-coms do. Most rom-coms, the whole point is that sure. at the end, they finally get together and it's like, oh, happy ending. But we never know what's going to happen or like, if they'll stay together. So I'm not going to fault it for that. I know Austin isn't, but Austin also brings up a good point where it's not about what forgetting Sarah Marshall does. It's about comparing it to what About Time does. And About Time gives us that added thing of at the end of the first act, they're basically together. And then the rest of the movie, we see what happens. And so that way, by the end, it's like, wow, they're going to be together forever. And I actually believe it. So it's just kind of an added thing. But what it comes down to is I agree with Keith as well, that I think About Time, like so many like matchups we've done so far, you kind of have one that I think nails the romance way better than the other. And then one that I think it's close. I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall is probably funnier for me, but I also think Austin was right that the way comedy is used in About Time is a bit more clever and fun. I just, it's it's just different. Whenever I watch About Time, I am laughing, but it's like, even when funny things happen, I'm more like, oh, yeah, that was good. That was good. And whereas Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I still like kind of laugh out loud with a lot of this stuff. So it's interesting. Um, I mean, Austin, how about how about you get the first vote out of the way? Because I feel like you're we know where you're going to go. So how about you set that up? I also appreciate that the guy who is kind of pursuing the romance in both and in, in about time, Dom Hall Gleason's character, he doesn't do anything to self-sabotage. He doesn't do anything to really fuck up the relationship and make Rachel McAdams character mad at him. And then he has to win her back like the about time doesn't take that storyline. And that's such a common trope in these rom-coms. And, and it happens in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And it's it's just used all the time. And I, I really appreciate that they didn't do that in about time. So it's. Probably super obvious where I'm going because I've done it every round, but I'll vote for About Time. I am in agreement with what you said, though, because like we've talked about it this whole time, the formula. And About Time definitely does not fit that formula mm-hmm. because, yeah, he doesn't really do anything to piss her off and have to get her back. It's more just, yeah, him just maintaining that. Yeah, I agree. It's also, we haven't even talked about it at all yet. It's also just a beautifully shot movie. And like the set dressing, the production design, like it just, it looks so slick and it's so colorful and vibrant. And like the like the locations they chose were perfect. Like their house, the family house is like, it's just, it's really fun to look at, if that makes sense. I just like uh, the choices they make. The underlying theme, too, that, that kind of builds up throughout the movie is so beautiful as well. Kind of got like that, like, almost Polar Express, like, theme to it. Like, ba da 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 Oh, That's I thought great. you were talking about the theme, like, the what the movie's about. So whenever you bring up, it has the fucking similarities to Polar Express. I'm like, shut the fuck up. That movie sucks. <laughs> but you're, you're no, I mean the music. the music. Okay, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. All aboard. <laughs> All aboard. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome oh, to the North Pole. Oh my god! Oh, the music, the music, yeah, awesome. music is really great. I think out of these two movies, I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall is the funnier and the more rewatchable for me, just because it's funnier. But yeah, it that it falls more in line with the comedy, and and yes, it is still it does still meet the the romantic comedy formula, but I think about time does it does it better does the does the formula better and not and when I say formula, not meaning. The whole piss a girl off and go get her back formula. I mean, I mean, just like it's romantic and it's funny formula. Right. And uh, and I think it just meets that a little bit better than Forgetting Sarah Marshall. But Forgetting Sarah Marshall is still the funnier for me out of those two and probably the more rewatchable. But uh, yeah, I think about time is going to be it's going to get my vote. And I'll get us out of here quick. I'm going to agree. I think uh, no need to continue what you guys are saying because I am in complete agreement. I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall Definitely deserves a spot on this list. It's super funny, and I do think it's the romance actually does work pretty well for the most part, but about time, I think, is just more kind of hitting harder on the things that we're looking for when it comes to a rom-com. I think it does it better. So I think it's one of the best relationships we've seen on this list. Um, It actually is genuinely romantic and sweet, and the way they incorporate side characters for both humor, but then also 
giving them their own journey, like the sister we talked about. And then they also are able to find love as well as kind of an added bonus. And then, of course, relationship with Bill Nighy, the father, is so well. And then, of course, the fucking time travel aspect. It's this whole weird sci-fi angle kind of just planted into a rom-com. So it's great. I'm going to go about time as well. Also, his coworker Rory might low key be one of the funniest side characters in a rom com that I've seen. <laughs> I did like Rory. The way they use Rory that character cool. is so damn funny. He was great. I love the best oh, man God, scene. Oh God, I was just thinking about that best... too. The way he uses time travel to get different best man speeches. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, God, that was great. Oh, it's so great. All right. Well, anybody listening, if you haven't seen About Time yet, we, all three of us would highly recommend it, and it is available on Netflix right now. So go check it out. Congratulations, About Time has won the best romantic comedy as decreed by the Arnies. Congratulations. Congratulations. Okay. Well, of course, before we get out of here today, we do still need to do our Arnies podcast awards. This is a segment where we give an award for anything in this episode. I'll go ahead and kick us off today. I'm going to give the worst crier award to Meg Ryan from Harry Met Sally. (laughs) When she is crying to uh, Billy Crystal when he shows up at her door, that is the worst fake crying I've ever seen in the movie. No way. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I'm going to give the best tell-off award and the funniest tell-off award to Mr. Jonah Hill in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> Whenever he finally has it with Aldous Snow not listening to his demo and he whispers because he can't get fired, like, you can go fuck yourself. I can't yell right now because I'll get fired. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. Oh, jeez. I feel like Forgetting Sarah Marshall has so many award opportunities. Maybe best sex scene whenever he does the fucking bridge and Sarah Marshall's just sitting on top of it. (laughs) So funny. That scene always gets me. I think to mix it up, though, it might be a bit obvious, but um, I think it makes the most sense for right now. It may not have gotten far in our bracket, but I can't imagine throwing an award somewhere else. I have to do, as the kids say, the best glow up award to Ben Affleck. Uh, I guess he wouldn't get this award for chasing Amy, but I guess it would be post chasing Amy, but it's for that fucking goatee leaving and him getting veneers <laughs> or just getting rid of his baby teeth. Whatever he did, he looks ridiculous <laughs> in chasing Amy. So shout out to him for the best glow up. All right, everybody. Well, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow the show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for the start of our new series interview, the MCU Phase 1 with Iron Man. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Iron Man. Keith. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm really excited for Iron Man. I love Iron Man. Oh, that was good. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be fun. We've done Star Wars. We've done Daniel Craig's James Bond. It's only fitting with WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier on the horizon that we knock out phase one of the MCU. Guys, are we excited to watch Edward Norton as the Hulk? Oh, boy. I actually advocated for not returning <laughs> to that one, but we are going to do it. So <laughs> Yeah, we have to. Maybe we, we, can, replace it with the, uh, we can replace it with the Eric Bana Hulk. No, no. No, that was <laughs> terrible. Um, yeah, so look out for that, everybody. That's going to be super fun. Can't wait to start that series. I think it's just going to be a blast to return to that. I actually haven't seen a lot of the Phase 1 movies in years, so it's going to be really cool to see if they hold up to a mod- like modern MCU, so that'll be interesting. Um, we also have another episode of Co-op Couch coming. If you didn't know, Austin and I have started a new little side series where once a month we just talk everything and anything about games, so we're going to have another special episode coming for you real soon. And yeah, that's kind of it, guys. Our ongoing series is WandaVision. So if you're another, if you if you need more MCU in your life, 
We still are talking about that. We have two episodes to go. It's almost time to close out that series. So check that out. And check us out on Instagram at The Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and upcoming episodes. Go back and catch up on WandaVision and let us know your theories and what's to come next on that. Also, uh, this bracket was fun, but I know some of our listeners are probably screaming right now that we left off a lot of their favorite uh, rom-coms. So whichever ones you left off, just send them to us and maybe we'll put them in a future bracket. And let us know which, what we should do for our next bracket. Like, what, what should we do next? We may have to at some point do rom-coms part two because there's so many out there. We might. We might have to. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Have a great week. Inside of you, inside of you, I really long to be. Is it wrong to be inside of you?